This is playing Pepper. Getting to know the guests of the Prospects Baseball Show just a little bit more. Sam Cosentino of Sportsnet. Are you ready to play a little Pepper? I'm ready. All right. If you could play catch with one current or past Major League Baseball player, who would it be? Joe DiMaggio. Tons of intrigue. Married Marilyn Monroe. Great player. Italian. All those reasons. Checks every box for me. <laughs> Sam, who's uh, your favorite actual player growing up? Well, I was a big Tim Raines guy. Um, I was always like one of those guys who, who appreciated the speed in the game and the tenacious outfield play. So he was a guy that I really, really loved. There is another guy, though. Steve Rogers was a guy that I probably didn't appreciate uh, enough when he played, but getting to know him in, the, in his after career, uh, and uh, I had a chance when he was inducted in the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame to spend some time with him then, and he was the guy that I really come, came to appreciate after his playing days, however. If you could face one hitter or one pitcher in the history of baseball, who would you like to take on one-on-one? It'd probably be Babe Ruth. Because, you know, you could do it both ways. Right. You could pitch and you could hit against them. So that that for me would be the thrill, and I wouldn't stop at just one or the other. I'd, I'd make sure that it would was the opportunity to do both. Sam, you began your time with the Jays and the clubhouse. Is there one story, quick story you could share with us here? Pretty funny one. Um, there's not much that I can share from those days, but there is a, a pretty funny one. Um, Benito Santiago was a catcher for us back in the, in the late 90s, and he was a real, real character. Um, and I remember he was at the end of our clubhouse, right beside the ramp where most of the players used to come down. He had a, he had a locker there, so he had no one beside him which is always kind of a coveted space in any locker room. But he was kind of the start of the, of the row, right beside the hallway that led to the washroom, but also led to the, to the uh, ramp, which most of the players came in from, from the parking lot. Um, I mean, it's changed, it's changed significantly now, the public, but this is how the setup when I was there. And, and there was a phone there, like an old school phone, um, and it used to ring. So we'd have access to call up to the office if we needed to or... You know, every now and then, if, if you sweet talk the, the switchboard person, you could get down and get actually a line into the clubhouse. So for whatever reason, the phone was ringing incessantly one day. And, you know, we were running around doing laundry, it was four or five of us, and, and it just kept ringing and ringing and ringing. So, you know, every now and then you'd walk by, pick it up and hang up, or pick it up and hang up because you were busy. And you didn't think it was going to be that important. So Benny's locker was right beside there, and, and after a while of the, you know, picking it up and hanging it up and it ringing back again, uh, Benny picked up the phone, and uh, some guy was asking for Robbie <laughs> Robbie Alomar. Well, obviously Robbie was, was long gone from the Blue Jays by then, and so Benny picked up the phone, and I, and I stood from afar and watched him, and he had this kind of quizzical look on his face. And he asked the guy again to repeat what he said. And obviously the guy on the other end, or the person on the other end said, I'm looking for Robbie Alomar. And Benny's response was, he kind of looked quizzically again, and he looked at me and he said, pick up a fucking paper, Holmes. <laughs> As if, like, Robbie's not here anymore. Do you not read the paper? <laughs> it's, it's a lot funnier with him and his accent and knowing Benny the way he was. But man, that broke us up, and we were killing ourselves. Our whole staff and anyone who was in, you know, uh, hearing distance of his locker, 
were absolutely in tears. And I would say for a good 10 minutes because he's like, pick up the fucking paper, Holmes. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, that, uh, yeah, that's good. That is yeah, beautiful. And I, I apologize for the swearing. If you have a younger on it, you can beep it out. But but the, uh, the story only worked if he kind of used that, that word in, right. in the way in which Benny did it, you know. Right. Oh, my goodness. That would be so funny. Uh, if you could live the life of one Major League Baseball player, who would it be? Trout. You play in Southern California. You're the best player in the game. You can do every single thing that the game requires of you. You're a good-looking dude. You're hugely athletic. And you got interest outside of baseball. He'd, he'd be my guy, hands down. Yeah, Trout for sure. Great pick there, son. Did you have any starstruck moments as a field reporter? Uh, yeah, so it, it's interesting because when, you know, I, I, it's kind of interesting because I, I had a bit of a history with Frank Robinson because when he managed uh, the Baltimore Orioles back in the day, I remember um, I was, we were there, like my college team was there in Fort Lauderdale, we where Baltimore used to have a spring training. And for whatever reason, I just kind of looked at the schedule and saw Baltimore was playing, but they were playing close by. And I and I said to my guys after our days of uh, our day of playing was over, I had a couple guys and I had a car, and I said, "Why don't we just head over there and maybe we can catch a couple of the guys?" Because I knew the Ripken brothers pretty well. I knew Hickey, Olson, uh, Orsalak, a bunch of the you know the old Baltimore Orioles guys from the from the late '80s, and this is now into the early '90s. And so we drove over to their ballpark, and it just happened to coincide with them returning on the bus from the trip that day. Well, Frank invited me and, and a couple of my buddies I was playing with at Spring Arbor to come in, and we got to hang out in, in his, you know, in the in the in the clubhouse there for a little bit, and got to say hi to the Ripkins and so on and so forth. So that was a big thrill for my buddies, and I wasn't necessarily starstruck, but I'm like, wow, that's pretty cool that Frank remembered me from my days in the clubhouse to this point. And then years later, when he managed the Expos, um, you know, we kind of became reacquainted again. And there was a time where he had returned when I was a field reporter and he had returned and, and I had the opportunity to set up, an, set up an interview and sit him down. And I guess because we kind of ha- had this longstanding relationship, it wasn't like we weren't were best of buds or we'd call each other on the phone or anything like that, but we knew each other, you know, from years of whether it was me in the clubhouse, then seeing him in spring training, and then as a broadcaster, uh, and then doing Expos games in 04. So I think it was the 05 or 06 season, I had the opportunity to sit him down. And it, it got pretty deep, the conversation. And it went into, you know, the struggles of him as a black player growing up playing in the time period that he played. And it got teary-eyed. So I wasn't necessarily starstruck by that, but more so... Um, I guess really pleased to be able to get that message out for him because Frank was a tough cookie. You know, if, if you didn't know him, you, you know, he, he could rub you the wrong way. And he, and he was a real tough guy to get inside his inner circle. And I guess I was somewhat starstruck in the fact that it felt at that time that I was able to draw out of him things that, that make me seem like, made me seem like I was in his inner circle. And I guess the other time would be, I met Hank Aaron once I got an autograph from him. He was passing through the Pueblos, um, you know, as an ambassador to Major League Baseball. Uh, I was I was pretty starstruck by that. But <laughs> honestly, guys, I have been like like beyond lucky in in my life to meet all kinds of people. And, and so, if, if you step outside the realm of baseball with having a connection to it, 
There was a time, um, really funny story, actually. Well, David Wells knew everybody. You know, he was a character. From his time in New York, he built up all kinds of relationships, and people liked to hang out with this guy because he was a party animal, he was funny, uh, and he was boomer. You know, he was this big, robust pitcher and had all kinds, you know, big personality, a little bit immature, quite a bit immature. Um, but a lot of times, he, he'd do anything for it. So Springsteen came to town and played at the Rogers Center, the then Skydome. And myself and Kevin Malloy, who still runs the, the visiting club of, in, um, for the Toronto Blue Jays, uh, and two buddies of mine who grew up like unbelievable Springsteen fans, and Boomer. And so Boomer took us backstage. And when I say backstage, I mean, yeah, we bypassed the green room and whatever else. And we ended up in one of the little rooms back there. Me, Boomer, uh, my two buddies, Danny and Dave, and Kevin Malloy. And Springsteen, just wow. just us. <laughs> so that was that was crazy. And I remember, like I was a, you know, I've always been a, a big fan of Jack Daniels. And so um, he had a little bottle of Jack Daniels there, and he offered us a drink. And all me and my buddies, Kevin didn't drink, but me and my buddies, like we've been drinking Jack Daniels for a hundred years. But we froze up. We're like, oh my god, Springsteen's offering us a drink of Jack right in the middle of his dressing room with nobody else around. We all said, uh, 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 uh no, uh, no. <laughs> And so that was probably the time, if, if, if all the people that I've ever met, that would have been a time that I would say it was starstruck. But it wasn't necessarily baseball, but definitely because of baseball and because of Boomer's generosity to get us backstage. That is beautiful. Um, when there is baseball going on, what guy makes you tune in if he's playing? Sure, for sure. Lindor, I love. Um, you know, um, Adrian Beltre I really really love because I just love how he just goes about playing playing the game he's excellent defensively he's been a stud offensively he's going to put up Hall of Fame type numbers goes about his business with little complaints um, and, and I have a real appreciation for that old school type of player but Lindor because of just how exciting he is and how many different ways that he can change the game he's got some pop in his back he can run he can steal a base. He can bunt. He's an amazing fielder, and, and does it at a position that you know that has a you know maybe the most significant impact in, in the game. So, those are a couple of guys that I really love, and I guess for entirely different reasons. So uh, that's cool. Uh, if there's one person out there, uh, Sam, who who's that person that helped guide you the most in your broadcasting career? Well, it kind of goes back. It goes back quite a ways. There's a, a, a family friend by the name of Vicki McKee. And so she was big in, in CTV back in the day. And while she wasn't a broadcaster, she'd always been around sports and, and the broadcast industry. Uh, and had worked at the fan in Toronto for a long time. And she kind of got me, got me going. I mean, I had some connections through, you know, working in the clubhouse and whatnot. Um, but she kind of got me going and, and one of the first things that I ever did at the fan was a, there was a there was a show on Sunday mornings called the, the Junior Jays radio show and the host of that show was Greg Sansoni who now is our I think he's our vice president or president <laughs> of programming at Sportsnet yeah. okay and the very first show we did he kind of forgot my name and Bill Houston wrote about it in the Globe and like oh look at this and like who the hell thought anyone would be listening on a Sunday morning um, but that show, I kind of, kind of worked both sides of the fence there. I'd sneak a tape recorder into work, 
and I'd ask a couple of the guys that I knew well if they'd come on and, and be on this Junior Jays radio show. So it'd be like a five-minute interview, and I'd try and tuck them into a position where none of the PR people would see me or whatever else, <laughs> and just simply ask a favor. So it was guys like Don Mattingly and Dwayne Ward, Danny Cox, and kind of a host of other of other guys that I just happened to know well. So because Vicky kind of opened that door, she's probably the most influential in terms of me kind of getting getting a start um, in my career. And it was it was her through a guy by the name of John Melville, who now works for AMI, who up until two years ago I had done some work for. He's the guy who in 1999 hired me at the score. Um, so I met John through Vicky, but Vicky's kind of the kind of the top of the of the pyramid for me. And I guess Deb Sanderson would be another one. You know, Deb Sanderson uh, was extremely successful in all kinds of facets in the business. But Deb was essentially the one that when, when John Drews was unable to continue in his role as the analyst in the CHL, Deb was the one who hired me. And she hired me based on 30, I think it was 32 CHL games. And I'm like, wow, this is going to be a big leap of faith because that kind of money just to do 32 games is not going to be able to, you know, pay all my bills. But uh, that ended up turning into lacrosse, which ended up turning into baseball and ended up turning to be, you know, by the time I, I piecemealed all my things together, it turned out to be, you know, pretty good. And that's, she was the one who signed me to my first contract with Sportsnet in, in the 05-06 season. So it was a couple of ladies who... Um, you know, Vicky was more behind the scenes, where Deb was more right in the middle of everything. And those two were probably my biggest supporters and, and the biggest uh, two people to help me out. You had a unique perspective about Major League Baseball players in general because you were in those locker rooms, uh, you know, with the Blue Jays and, and, the, and the road teams. But, you know, and, and not because of anything they did in the clubhouse. Was there one player that, you know, as a kid you couldn't stand, um, you know, because they were a rival or, or, or anything like that? Once you get into the clubhouse and you meet all these guys, you realize they're pretty good guys. But think back to, like, eight-year-old Sam Cosentino. Who was that one player <laughs> that you couldn't stand? Well, it wasn't so much at that, at that age. Because a, a lot of those guys, so I started there at 16 in 1987. So we were kind of just like it was. A, it was an interesting generation of baseball players because you still had some of those kind of really, really old school guys, and then you know a new generation of players were starting to come through. Whether it was Ripken and Mattingly and George Brett, who were kind of right in the middle of the mix when I started there. So those guys were always guys that I really appreciated. But one guy that I did not like was Bill Buckner. <laughs> he he was he was rude to the people in the clubhouse. You know, he'd be the type of guy who you know who'd take his clothes off and throw them beside the laundry bucket instead of in it. Um, he'd be super demanding when his stuff went missing, which is which happens on occasion. You know, the way it works in in, in the clubhouse is everything is marked with a number or with a name. And sometimes the markings start to wear off. Sometimes the name starts to wear off. Sometimes pieces of the laundry get stuck together. And sometimes you're just tired and you end up putting stuff in the wrong locker. It doesn't happen often, but it does. And so he was super, super demanding because he had about 15 different implements that he'd wear. You know, an ankle brace this, a wrist that, a knee this, and a knee that. So all this crap would go in the wash. And he'd be wondering why. He'd wear, he'd have more laundry than anyone else, and wonder why 
you know, for a couple of days in a row, something would be missing. I'm like, dude, you're wearing 6,000 things. <laughs> like, it, something's bound to go missing. You're not just throwing the jocks, throwing the shorts, and go get them. You're like, you got 6,000 things. You're 100, you're 100 years old. You're miserable. And you're even more miserable when you're missing stuff. So he was the guy that I didn't uh, have a ton of appreciation for. But he wasn't someone that I looked at and said, oh, yeah, I, I really just like that guy. But when when the whole thing happened with the with the World Series, you know, um, and I look back upon when when Bill Buckner was there, you know, I was pretty indifferent about the whole thing after that. Yeah, I you thought. weren't you weren't shedding a tear. Yeah. All right, last one, Sam, for the the plain topic segment: DH or no DH? Both. I love it the way it is. I love the differences between the two le- the two leagues. I love the strategy. Uh, and the difference in strategy between the two leagues, although strategy has taken on a whole different meaning since the, you know, the implementation of, of analytics and shifting and all that kind of stuff. But I think back to the days when, you know, when I was, even before, when I worked in the clubhouse, because I thought that was really the golden age of baseball. I mean, you know, people are going to talk about DiMaggio and Ruth and whatnot, but I look at all the players that, that, that played and it come through playing when I was there and starting to go in the Hall of Fame, you know, that's a pretty, pretty impressive uh, group of players. So I'm I'm more of the ilk, and, and I always think about the game fondly when I think about the two leagues, just how different, um, you know, roster composition is different, strategy is different. I like the fact that, hey, you have a decision to make that if you wanted to keep your pitcher in the game because he's pitching so well, you're likely going to have to give up and out to do it even if you're down by a runner or whatnot. So I've always liked the strategical part of the game, but I also like the bangers too. I mean, who doesn't like to see home runs? And traditionally, that's what the DH is. Um, when I look at the career of Edgar Martinez, who, who's a player that I had a ton of respect for, because this guy, honestly, he could barely walk. Day to day, he could barely walk. His knees were a disaster. Um, but to see him go out and hit the way he did, he wouldn't have been able to... to make his way into the Hall of Fame if, he, if the DH position wasn't available. So I'm, I'm a fan of both, to be honest with it. Good stuff. This has been Playing Pepper with Sam Cosentino of Rogers Sportsnet. You can hear his full interview at prospectsbaseballshow.ca. This has been Playing Pepper, getting to know the guests of the Prospects Baseball Show just a little bit more. Catch full episodes at www.prospectsbaseballshow.ca.